Devin Blake, for those of you that don't know me, and James asked me a couple of weeks ago if I would fill in today. Uh, I'm extremely humbled by the opportunity, and I'm a little glad that it's President's Day weekend because the crowd is a little bit smaller, and uh, welcome to those of you online as well. But, uh, but please bear with me as, as this is new for me, uh, standing in front of you and offering a message. And, uh, and this message I took actually from the lectionary, which are verses that are, are put out on a weekly basis that the entire, entire church is encouraged to read. And, uh, and I'll just start by saying, I was talking to a friend this week, and she, uh, she's been in the same house over 30 years and been to several different churches. And she was talking about some of the church drama that exists within her church. And some people call it church hurt. But it really, it saddened my heart to hear. And I know for those that have been in churches before, um, may have experienced that in the past, where there is division or divisiveness. And, um, but, it, but it really saddened my heart. And as she was talking specifically about the fact that their pastor had gone on a long-term mission, and so they had an interim, but it was the manner in which the, the body or the elders had shared with that interim pastor that they, they really didn't want him to be in the position anymore. And, and she was just sharing her perspective. And, uh, and she's been at the church a long time. And she said, you know, she said, yeah, he was different. Like his, his preaching style was different, but he was really good. And, and, uh, and so I, you know, as I was thinking about that, and then when I read the lectionary, I thought, wow, this really ties in and isn't really much different today than it was back in the time of Paul and Corinth. So we're going to turn, uh, it'll be up on the screen. I'm going to talk about strength through difference. But uh, what'll be up on the screen is 1 Corinthians 3 verses 1 through 9. Brothers and sisters, I could not address you as people who live by the Spirit but as people who are still worldly, mere infants in Christ. I gave you milk, not solid food, for you are not yet ready for it. Indeed, you are still not ready. You are still worldly, for since there is jealousy and quarreling among you, are you not worldly? Are you not acting like mere humans? For when one says, I follow Paul, the other, I follow Apollos. Are you not mere human beings? What, after all, is Apollos? And what is Paul? Only servants through whom you came to believe as the Lord has assigned to each his task. I planted the seed, Apollos watered it, but God has been making it grow. So neither the one who plants nor the one who waters is anything, but only God who makes things grow. The one who plants and the one who waters have one purpose, and they will each be rewarded according to their own labor. For we are co-workers in God's service. You are God's field, God's building. What struck me was the tone of Paul's message. And I'd like to provide a little context around that actual message itself. So Corinth, I think we have a map coming up. Um, but Corinth, have a map. Okay, so I will, I will visually describe Corinth. So Corinth was basically, if you can... You can, can picture modern-day Greece. So Greece being, um, being a country that has a lot of islands. There's an isthmus, 
which is a narrow body of land between northern and southern Greece. And what the, uh, and so this isthmus was actually called Corinth, and it was just a stretch of narrow land. And there was a canal that went through it. Now, there were many merchants and sea, seabearers that liked to go through this canal versus going all the way around Greece. And again, from a geography standpoint, you've got the boot of Italy off to the west, and you've got Turkey off to the right. Um, you've got Albania, Bulgaria, modern day, up to the north. So then you've got Greece, and you've got this isthmus. And so Corinth, at the time, was a huge cosmopolitan city. So a lot of commercial traffic that was going through. In one, so I'll, just to contextualize, in 146 BC, the Roman, it was a Roman colony, it was destroyed completely by the, uh, the Roman Archaicus. And so that's, it took about a whole century to rebuild Corinth as an isthmus and to become that, that cosmopolitan city that it was. <coughs> Excuse me. So at that time, and we're, so Paul and his, this was his second missionary trip. So in his first missionary trip, he had actually focused a little bit further east in what's modern-day Turkey and Syria, and then he moved a little bit west, and now he's going to Corinth, which is west in Greece, and it's just west of uh, Athens. And so as, um, as Paul's coming through, it's about 49.50 A.D., so after the death of Christ, after the birth of Christ. So 49.50 A.D., when Paul's going through. And at that time, the Romans were still there because it was a Roman colony. The Greeks had begun to come in larger numbers, right? It's modern-day Greece, <coughs> and uh, ancient-day Greece. And then the Orientals, because they were attracted because it was a commercial city. And, uh, and then you also had enough Jews to actually form a synagogue. So if you can picture that environment, you can, you can imagine that there are just a lot of movement, a lot of people. All right, so let's, let's fast forward a little bit. <clears throat> Population wasn't sure. They actually estimate between 100,000 and 600,000. It's a huge difference, but I think because there was so many people coming and going. <clears throat> so then you think about the fact that a church often reflects the society in which it, in which it resides. So um, in this particular society, and again, going back to these times and going back to Greek culture, uh, it was a very sinful society. Sinful by our terms today, but maybe not, um, with regard to the fact that there was a lot of unashamed immorality. So incest was fairly common. Um, there really wasn't... When it came to marriage, they, their Christian views were actually of marriage that they were learning were actually rooted in this immorality. And then idolatry was very common. And uh, so the worship of idols. And so when I, was, when I was reading about this, I thought, golly, okay, so this is the culture. Why are they, you know, I would say, why are they going to church? But gosh, it would seem like if that's their lifestyle, then it didn't, wouldn't quite match with church. And but also important to understand was the fact that religion was such a part of the daily life. And, uh, and I think that's changed a lot in our culture today. But religion was so important to them 
first they believed that if they, if they went to church, if they were religious, they would have better lives while they were alive. But the gods and the goddesses, because they worshipped gods and goddesses, they would take care of them after their death. So for them, there was purpose in going and sitting and attending, <clears throat> and it, it wasn't necessarily altruistic. So they, um, as an example, Hestia was a goddess of sacrifice. And so often in their homes, even those that were converts would still worship to the altar of Hestia, which is a hearth, and uh, worship for the, to the god of sacrifice. And you think about the Greek myths and the legends. Um, I think it's ninth grade history when they study, is that right? Uh, reading, uh, reading the Odyssey, the Iliad and the Odyssey. And uh, whether you're studying Icarus or Oedipus, reaching way back, uh, that a lot of those myths and legends we've learned, but that's what they believed in and they held true to during that day. So as Paul was teaching them, he stayed for about 18 months and then he was followed by Apollos. And so Apollos, uh, when he went into the church, Apollos was very well read from a scriptural standpoint. He was extremely articulate. He had a very different preaching style than Paul did, right? Paul founded the church in <coughs> Corinth, um, like I said, 4950 AD, and then stayed there for about 18 months and just invested into the church with everything he knew. And then Apollos came, and again, different preaching style, but very well grounded. And what happened is, word got back, because at this point, after the 18 months, Paul moved on to continue his mission trip. Word got back, all these merchant trips, ships, so word traveled quite quickly, not in our today's standard, but, um, but got back to him that there was divisiveness division within the church because there were loyalties, groups that had loyalties to Paul and his teaching while he was there. And then there were the groups that now were loyal to Apollos. And then Peter came and the same thing happened. So Paul essentially in his letter that we just read is rebuking the church for this division. And, uh, and what, what he's recognizing as that they are they have loyalties to the person versus to God. And they, um, the other piece that I think that's important is the congregation with regard to their conversion, they had these social lives, and I talked about worshiping idols, and then they had to make these conscientious choices whether or not to continue to be part of the social intercourse where they're going and they're worshiping idols at social events just to be a part of that, or if they had to remove themselves. And they had a really hard time understanding what they considered virtuous for so long, and now they're being told, you can't do that any longer. And so I would say, even today, when I think about some of the questionable practices that we may have or that we're going through in our own minds, whether, and I remember uh, very early on in my Christian walk, when I would ask, "Is can I do this? And it was very legalistic, the do's and the don'ts. Um, and and I, I just kept asking and asking, but then over time, 
realizing that as you, or as I grew closer to God, it became so apparent what, what potentially was pleasing to God and what wasn't pleasing to God. And so when we, um, sorry about that. Um, so I, I think the biggest thing to take here from here is that the church really failed to grow spiritually as they should have. And um, I'll just share, share a little bit uh, about our past. So in our, in Tim and my first, uh, six, first 18 years of marriage, we lived in 16 different households. And, uh, and almost as many churches, there were some places where we, Tim actually, we had our own church. But, um, but it, was, it was always what we realized, and I'd like to think even earlier in our marriage that we were altruistic about why we wanted to pick a particular church. You know, we, I, I would like to say because, you know, it, ref, it, was, it was all focused on God and that was the reason. But a lot of times, and I think this is very common for everyone, I think we focused more on the music, the lights, the show, the, uh, the style of the pastor. Do we like him? Do we not? How do we feel when we go into the church? That's all, those are, that's all human. Um, and I remember I was overseas when, uh, when Tim told me about St. James. And, uh, you know, the, the word that he described was humility. And, and I, I love that from the beginning was, and uh, James, I remember, I preached about it one time a while ago, but it was, it was the fact that the church really is a beautiful group of servants. And, uh, and, it's, and it's a very different environment than many that we've been into. And again, different people are attracted to different styles of worship. Tim is not James Donnelly or, or Megan. And, uh, but at the same time, it's different. But I know that his heart's pure. And I know that uh, his goal is to, to lead us into the presence of God. And again, so different styles, different just different ways that we come to know the Lord. <clears throat> the other piece that I think is, is key is oftentimes I've asked, I've just asked myself, why are there so many denominations and division within the Christian church itself, just amongst Christians? And it took, and I don't know that I have the best answer, but it took a lot of reflection with regards to just trying to understand, okay, God, we're all God's people. But I realize it, it is those differences that I mentioned. It's the difference in the music. It's the difference in the, it's the difference in how, what may resonate with each of us. And God is using each environment regardless to bring those to his kingdom. And, and it's so easy as humans to get caught up in what's, what's right, what's wrong, what's better, what's worse. But at the end of the day, it's all about how we can serve in order to further God's kingdom. We do the planting, we do the watering, and God does the growing. And when we let go of all of the those little things that bother us sometimes, I think there is an opportunity for God just to work so much better through those differences. 
I um. lost my train of thought, sorry. <laughs> I, um, I was thinking about the phrase, um, thy kingdom come, and I, and I thought often, is it my kingdom come, or is it thy kingdom come? And I think as mere humans, as, as Paul put it in his letter, uh, I think we are respecter of persons. And I often think, you know, if, if somebody famous, walked in the door, would we treat them differently? Should we? Well, I think the answer is no. Um, but when you look at Christ, we say he's not a respecter of persons. But Tim pointed out to me, he said, actually, Christ is a respecter of persons. He respects the meek and the humble and the servants. And when we, when we think about, again, those around us and how we view the differences amongst people, are we casting false judgment? And it's, it's a hard question sometimes because I think, quite frankly, even myself, it's, it really is so easy to just make a quick snap judgment when when you may not know anything about that individual. And every single person has experiences and a story, and it is so worth it to take that time to recognize some of those differences and then to build upon that. And, uh, and again, potentially be that individual that plants or waters and allows God to grow, grow that seed. So I think there's a lot of, challenges that stem from Paul's letter and that are so applicable in the modern day church. And I think recognizing that our divisions are not what's best for God's people, but at the same time recognizing that if we can take that one message of the crucified Christ as our own tenant for measuring the church versus all the other stuff and look at what type of servants we want to be, where we want to serve, and how we want to serve, how we want to give to one another. And I think it'd be really awesome if we all just allow the differences that we have to glorify God and then watch him do the growing. 